G'day, g'day guys. Now before we dive into today's show, I want to let you know that some of you may be aware that over the past eight years, I have built a substantial multifamily real estate portfolio here in the US worth over half a billion dollars. And in that time, my passive investors have received fantastic double digit returns. And now you too can invest directly into my deals for as little as $50,000. So if you're an interested investor, head over to reedgoosens.com to find out more. That's reedgoosens.com. Now back into the show. I didn't really design this to be like a, a typical, like it's not like an, a business that I had done with my previous ones. Like my primary goal was like, I want to find good investment deals. So I don't ever want to do anything that kills that. Mm. And so mm. that's why, for example, no one's charged to join the club. People are referred to sponsors. No one's there's no fee being charged to refer people to sponsors, which a lot of clubs kind of run themselves that way, but then they get conflicts of interest. And so I wanted to keep it very clean. So, you know, the club is, from my point of view, it's working and doing what it's supposed to do, which is, you know, bringing in all these deals that we can take a look at, allowing a place to do due diligence. The, the other thing that's nice is sometimes because there's so many of us that we can bring an amount to a sponsor together in aggregate that makes it worth it for them to give a discount. Excuse me. And I couldn't get that by myself if I went to that sponsor. So the bigger the club gets, just the better it gets. So, so yeah, my goal, my goal is to grow it and to, to grow it. And, but we want quality referrals and we want people coming in. And so we want all that good stuff, but there's no plan to change it. It's basically, it's, it's working. Welcome to Investing in the US, a podcast for real estate investors, business owners, and aspiring entrepreneurs looking to break into the US market. Join Reid as he interviews go-getters, risk-takers, and the best in the business about their journey towards financial freedom and the sheer joy of creating something from nothing. G'day, g'day, ladies and gentlemen, and welcome to another cracking edition of Investing in the US podcast from Los Angeles. I'm your host, Reed Goosens. Good as always to have you with us on the show. Now, I'm glad that you've all tuned in to learn from my incredible guests, and each and every one of them are the cream of the crop here in the United States when it comes to real estate investing, business investing, and entrepreneurship. Each show, I try and tease out their incredible stories of how they have successfully created their businesses here in the US, how they've created financial freedom massive amounts of cash flow and ultimately create extraordinary lives for themselves and their families. Life by design, as I like to say. Hopefully, these guests will inspire all of my cracking listeners, which are you guys, to get off the couch and go and take massive amounts of action. If these guys can do it, so can you. Now, as you know, I'm all about sharing the knowledge with my loyal listeners, which is you guys, and there's absolutely no BS on this show, just straight into the nuts and bolts. Now, if you do like this show, the easiest way to give back is to give us a review on iTunes and you can follow me on Facebook and Twitter by searching at Reed Goosens. You can find the show wherever you podcast on iTunes, SoundCloud, Stitcher and Google Play, but you can also find these episodes up on my YouTube channel. So head over to reedgoosens.com, click on the video link and it will take you to the video recordings of these podcasts where you can see my ugly mug but the beautiful faces of my guests each and every week. All right, enough out of me. Let's get cracking and into today's show. Today on the show, I have the pleasure of speaking with Ian Ippolito. 
Ian is the founder of an alternative asset investment group called the Private Investor Club. Now, the club has over 5,000 members with over $8 billion in investable assets, and it gives investors access to high-quality deal flow, detailed due diligence, and special deals that they couldn't find on their own. So I'm really pumped to talk to Ian about that. But the Ian has also been featured on USA Today, Bloomberg News, The Wall Street Journal, and Realtor.com. And I think the most passionate thing Ian has in his life is this community and creating a community of like-minded passive investors to gain access to these lucrative real estate investment opportunities so he can help people change their financial freedom in future so they can achieve that financial freedom. But I'm really excited and pumped to have him on the show today to share his incredible insight and his knowledge. But enough of me, let's get him out here. G'day, Ian. Welcome to the show. How are you doing today, mate? Good day. Hi, Reed. How are you doing? Great to be here. Mate, absolute pleasure. But tell the listeners, where are you dialing in from today? I'm dialing in from Tampa, Florida. How is the weather down in Tampa? Well, you know, it's 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 warm. It's actually it's actually kind of hot already here. So it's like 80. I would just walked outside. It was like 86. Wow. So yeah. Okay. Getting getting swampy. Summer is there. coming already. Yeah. Uh-huh. <laughs> That's awesome. Well, look, I like to ask all my guests when they come on the show. The first question, the first cab off the rank is rewind the clock and tell me how you made your first ever dollar as a kid. Sure. Okay. So, I mean, it was a long, a long time ago. A lot of kids, like maybe their, their parents give them like a, uh, some sort of allowance or something like that for it, but I didn't really have that. But what, what it was, was um, there was a, so I worked, I, I, my, I was at a school and my mom wanted to help raise money for the school. And so what she did was there was like a school fair and there were different booths that were set up. And she, so I, I'm half Italian and half Chinese. So mm. my mother is Chinese. And so she basically, she's really a really good cook. So she made all of this really great Chinese food. She made like egg rolls and, you know, fried rice and all this sort of stuff. And I mean, huge amounts of it, brought it out to the school fair. And I was the one that was in charge of serving it to the customers, taking their money in, doing all that sort of stuff. And it was the first time that I really interacted, one, with the general public and then like that. And then two, I mean, I was seeing that I was like, wow, this is pretty cool. It's like, you know, we're, we're creating something and they're like paying us these, this huge amount of money. And at the end of the day, you know, we counted it all up and we donated it to the school. And it was just, it was awesome. And I was hooked. Because I was like, this is a pretty cool thing. And, uh, you know, I, I want to learn more about this. And it definitely made me want to learn more. I, it led to me getting a paper route and doing all sorts of other things. Awesome. Awesome. Well, I, I want to say Italian Chinese. I don't know. How's that? How does, how does that, those cookings come together? Because that would be. <laughs> how does it uh, happen? Yeah, spaghetti with, uh, with, with fried rice. That's, uh, I, I got a pretty. <laughs> you know, uh, curious palate. I don't know even if that mixing those two things together would, 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 would satisfy me. But how, how was that like growing up in a, in a, in a dual or international household? I mean, well, so first of all, like my, so my dad and my mom, they met each other in the Peace Corps. So my dad was in the Peace Corps, went overseas, met my mom there, brought her back over to the United States. And, um, I, you know, I didn't know any different. I didn't know it was special or anything like that. From my point of view, it was just great because, um, yeah, you know, tomato sauce does kind of go with everything. So uh, <laughs> <laughs> that's awesome. But that's yeah, awesome. I, it, it was great because I had, you know, from my mom's side, you know, I think her family actually, they, they were, I didn't realize it, but they were like a bunch of entrepreneurs, which is kind of the route that I went. And they had, you know, family businesses and stuff like that. And, you know, my, my dad had a lot of mathematical background and things like that. And I, I kind of got 
a lot of good things from both of them. So I'm very grateful for that. That's awesome. Well, let's walk us through your journey of where you've got to today. I, I, I know you run the Passive Investor Club, and we I mentioned that in the introduction, but what was your life pre-club, you know, and, and, and did you come from the corporate world? And, and really, what was the start to get involved in real estate investing passively? Yeah, yeah. I mean, my very first start, yeah, I started off in the corporate world, probably like most people do. And, um, you know, it, it wasn't a great fit for me. I was in it for a long time. I was, I was a computer programmer. Mm. I started off as a computer programmer. And it was, it was frustrating for me because I would a lot of times just see, you know, I was like, I'd like to make this change, but being, you know, the new guy or, you know, whatever it is, a lot of times I wasn't listened to, you know, that's just the way that it is. And I felt I had a lot of good ideas. They weren't listened to. There was a lot of politics that was going on. And, you know, so I was like, you know what, there's gotta be something better than this. This is driving me crazy. So I'd like to try something on my own. The first thing I tried was trying to be a consultant and, you know, and, and that was better than being an employee for someone else, but I was still like a, you know, a computer consultant. And at least people were listening to me now, expecting me to know <laughs> what the answers were. But, you know, lots of long hours and, you know, and again, uh, I, there wasn't a lot of continuity. I didn't feel a lot of, like I would work on something and then it switched me to something else, switched me to something else. And, you know, I didn't get that kind of pride of ownership of like moving something all the way through and it still wasn't quite what I wanted. And so in the back of my mind, I thought, you know what I really want to do? I want to be my, I want to be an entrepreneur. I want to be my own, my own business, you know? And I, I, I was always trying different things. And it took me a while to get to work. I failed a lot of times. I, I tried the first time I, cause I was a software person. I wrote a piece of software, spent a long time doing it. No one, no one bought it. Uh, <laughs> but I learned a really good lesson. It was like market research. I have to do my market research. So I, after a couple months, I picked myself up. I tried again. I created another product. And this time it was, it was a thing to create help files, which um, was a long time ago, but it, it worked. It, it worked enough where people every single month were paying me money. I would open up my, my mailbox and checks would start coming in. I'd be like, wow, this is, this is cool. And I bought myself a car and I, I wrote the software one time and they would keep paying me, you know, as new people signed up for it. So I was like, this is, this is pretty cool. So I liked that for a while until once again, I got stomped on, which is basically uh, Microsoft came in like the big elephant and <laughs> squished the little guy, which was me. Uh, they were like, you know what? It is really inconvenient to create these help files. We'll create something that'll make, make it easier for people. So great for the users, terrible for my business because I just went from you know, doing sky high to boom, nothing. Just like that, my whole business was gone. So I was like, I, dusted myself, you know, it was disappointing, but after a little bit of time, dusted myself off, tried again. And the next one was creating, I, I, again, I created something for computer programmers. It was one of the first open source sites. It took a long time to get it going, like years. It started slowly. I didn't have a lot of money or anything, but over time it actually became, it was the first open source site for anyone who knows computer stuff. It's like a way that computer programmers share their, their, uh, their information. And, um, you know, at, at its height, it was getting millions of programmers coming in every single month. And this was the time of the dot-com boom. So it was, um, it, things were crazy back then. I mean, it was so, it was ridiculously easy to make money because what would happen is like say Oracle. So Oracle, they make databases and they would pay a ridiculous amount of money. Like today, if you have a website and you, you, you get paid by Google, you'd be lucky if you get, you know, 
50 cents per a thousand, you know, people coming in or a thousand clicks, whatever. It's like, you're not going to make a lot of money back then. We, I was getting like $50 just to show their ad to a thousand people. Wow. So yeah. So they, no one really understood how the internet worked and there was a lot of money. And so people were just, and, and they, no one wanted to be left out. So they were all like, no, no, we, we want your space. We want your space. So they were all competing, you know, to be on it. So it was, it was a really good time for, for the site. And, you know, I, I grew that business uh, and it, it was really just myself and an employee or two. And I ended up, this was before like broadband. So I actually had to have T1 lines, these old fashioned computer lines hooked up, these physical lines into my house. And they were coming to my house to run this website. And so, and, and I was like, well, I don't have to do any work. And, you know, the advertisements are running and, you know, and these companies are paying me. So I thought I was set, but, you know, again, Let's see. So this was just before 2001. So 2001 came the dot-com crash. And all of a sudden, one or two of my customers were like, hey, you know, we, we can't pay you this month. I'm like, oh, all right. Okay. <laughs> um, and then the next month, a few more. Oh, we can't pay. And all of a sudden, the advertising just dried up boom, just like that. And it was like almost overnight. The dot-com crash hit. The stock market went down. And all these companies, the first thing they yanked was their advertising budgets. And meanwhile, I had these T1 lines, which were on long-term contracts, each one costing, you know, a few thousand dollars per month and that I couldn't get out of and that I owed money on. And um, I was like, oh my gosh, I am sunk. It's like, I have no money coming in. I owe all of this money. It's like, I'm in, I'm in big, big trouble. And um, it was, uh, that was probably one of the worst times ever because it was like, I was deep, dark times. And I was like, what am I going to do? Freaking out. And eventually I just kind of like, I had to calm myself down, which was not easy. And, uh, you know, think about low, like, well, what, are, what strengths do I have? What do I have here that I can turn it around with? And I was like, well, you know, no one wants to pay for these, this audience, but it is an audience. It's, it's got value because, you know, it, it's a people, it's people. And, you know, there's value for you if no one wants to pay. I was like, what else could I do with this audience? And so I thought, you know what I could do? I've always, I've always had this problem. And what it is, is people as the website owner, they would come to me and they say, hey, Ian, can you write this program for me? And I'd say, no, I don't have time to do that, sorry. And I, would, and I was like, you know what? I could create a website or connect together. You know, I've got these millions of programmers and I've got all these people that need programming work done. Why don't I create a website to do that? Now at the time there was no such thing as a website that connected people together for a freelance work or anything like that. So um, I actually created one of the first websites to do that. And at the time it was called Rent-A-Coder. And so what Rent-A-Coder was, was, was exactly what I talked about, but you know, I was in deep financial distress. So uh, you know, the, the, the gun was to my head basically. And I was coding up a storm, working late at night, just trying to get this thing to work, putting it out. I was like, I felt it could work. It took me like about a month to just even just write the first version. I put it out there. And I think it made that first month, it made like five bucks or something. <laughs> so um, I was like, well, you know, better than a loss, I guess. But, uh, you know, that doesn't pay the bills. So I, 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 but I just kept working at it and working at it and refining it and changing it and changing it. And, you know, $5 became 50 and 50 became 5,000 and 5,000 became 50,000. And month after month, and I just I just stayed on top of it because I really had no other choice and um, eventually turned it around. And the, a big break really came the one day where a Wall Street Journal, um, his reporter basically was using the site 
And he's like, wow, this is really cool. I just hired a programmer from like around the world. I don't even know him. And he asked him questions and the guy like sent him pictures. And he goes, I'd like to do a, an article on your company. Is that okay? And I was like, yeah, of course it's okay. And that was the beginning of just really, you know, turning it around and, and hitting it big. And, you know, so, and that was the, the start of a, a very interesting and, and, and fun journey. So what, what happened? Did you sell? Did you, did you get to, did. did you get to a, a happy ending? I did. I did. It, it did ramp up. And eventually, you know, got larger and larger. We changed it from Rent-A-Coder to V-Worker, where we expanded into all sorts of other uh, um, remote work. So writing, it was uh, translations, all sorts of things. And eventually, I sold it to a company in Australia that wanted to get into the U.S. market. That was in 2013. I had my exit. I was retired. I was done. <laughs> For the time being, anyway. <laughs> was that Atlassian? <laughs> uh, freelancer, actually. So oh. freelancer.com. So, um, you know, now, I don't know if you know, know some old names. Yes, I do know. Yeah, yeah, yes, yeah. yes. Like the, back then there were, there was like Elance and there were, and these mm -hmm. eventually, a bunch of them got consolidated and it's a different market today, but back right. then there were a lot more competitors. Got it. Got it. Well, well, congratulations on finally getting through from 2001 all the way through to 2000. And I'm sure you were coding before that, but that's, yes. it just goes to show how fickle those markets can be and the businesses can be in trying to create software and new ideas and, and stuff like that. But, but, but kudos to you for keep going because I mean, that's, Thank you. That's, it Thank seems you. like you, so a lot of people would have stopped, right? With no money, yes. Yes. go back, get a job. Mm -hmm. I don't know if there's yes. any family pressures. Hey, Ian, there's, there's a roof pressure. over here. They've got, there's yeah, got to be food on this table. Like what the hell? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, exactly. Well, you know, I, I, I was lucky that I, you know, I wasn't married and didn't have like a child like I do now. I would not have been able to, to go through the same road. I was able to take more risks. Got it. So yeah. I was very fortunate. Yeah. That's, that's awesome. That's awesome. So, mm -hmm. so 2013 comes, you've hit it big time. Did you take some time off? Did you go kick, kick back on the beach somewhere? I did. I did. I took some time off and I just relaxed. And it was weird because that first month after doing something for like 10 or 11 years, it was at first I was like, okay, this is weird. I'm not sure if I like it. And then the second thing was like, this is awesome because it's like <laughs> the stress of, you know, I didn't, and I didn't realize it. I always thought, ah, it doesn't bother me. You know, the stress doesn't bother me. But when it was all gone, it was like, wow, a, a weight just came off of my shoulders. And, uh, it was, it was very good. It was very good, I'd say, for a few months. And uh, But what I found is that it's also a little bit boring unless, you know, someone has, like some people, they might play golf every day, but I, I'm really not into doing that. You know, if people have their different hobbies. If you, if you have a hobby, you know, it's great. But the thing that had always made me most, the most interested was, you know, really diving into something. And I wanted something to dive into. So uh, that's what kind of took me to the investing world, basically. Awesome. Awesome. And, and were you, did you start out in the real estate world with the cash that you, you acquired to just get it to work or to, to get it working for you? Was that the idea behind it was that? at that time. Beforehand, I actually had made some real estate investments when I was earlier on, back when I had like pretty much no money, actually. And um you know, I, I had bought some rental properties and had some okay success and, uh, you know, didn't lose money, didn't make a ton of money either. And then I had bought into a syndication right before, uh, let's see, so what time are we talking now? So yeah, right before the Great Recession, hmm. it was bad timing because I ended up, it was a, it was a syndication in uh, single family homes. So hmm. not good timing. 
but I didn't know what I was doing and I didn't know how to do research. And so, so yeah, so I had, I, I dabbled in it before, but now all of a sudden, like it was my job. Like this is like this, I have a certain amount of money unless I can make more money out of it. There's no more coming. I, I don't have, you know, so I was like, I got to be a lot more serious about this. And so what, the, the idea of the club, where did that started to come from? We're sharing your, was it just to be surrounded by other people who thought like you and be on the passive side? And I guess the question before that was, did you always think that you wanted to be passive? Like coming out of the, the, the 11 years of working hard and stress and all that sort of stuff, you clearly sounded like you found your role in, I like just to be passive in, in, in these scenarios. I mean, I, the way I look at it is like, First of all, I can't criticize anyone for being an active investor because it's like you can generate incredible wealth as an active investor. You also have to put in a lot of time and effort. So mm-hmm. um, it's it's basically a job. So, you know, I look at it as, you know, I'll, I'll do that if I have to. But if I get to the point where I don't have to, I would definitely rather not. That's the way right. I look at it. Right. Now, I actually, even today in my portfolio, I have directly owned properties that I, I still own, but I don't like, I'm not the one that's going to go and like, if, if someone has a toilet broken, you know, I'm not going to answer the phone and, you know, fix their toilet or something like that. You know, I outsource a lot of it, but, you know, if I can do passive, you know, I, I it, it, it's, it's hard to, it's hard to beat. I'm not going to get the same returns as, you know, putting in all the sweat equity of, you know, something else where I do it. But when I'm in a situation that uh, it works, I like it. Yep. No, no, hundred percent. And that's, it's, it's important to define what that is because so many people coming into this space, including myself, you know, I, I very much had the active mindset being young when I was 26, when I bought my first property, you know, six months fresh off the boat here in the United States, it was like, I try to buy the most amount of units with the money I had at the time. And I, you know, I didn't, I didn't even, I didn't really understand syndication at the time. I was like, I know I needed to get a deal done. So yes. being active and I always had the, 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 the active side of me came through strong. Now, depending on where people listening to the show, people in your, your club, you may come be at certain times in your life, like yourself, where you've already grinded for 12, 13 years, 15 years, you build something, you've, you've got to a successful exit. Now it's like, all right, Let's go take some chips off the table and let some other people do the hard work for a little bit. So I think it's important to understand where you are in your life to then back into what's that decision you're going to make in terms of passive or active investing. Um, But Ian, when did the club come around? Because obviously, was that from straight from day one or was it, you know, slowly building up like you sort of built up your software businesses? Yeah, it was more like the software business. So the first thing it was just, I just needed to invest my own money. And so I, at the time, this is 2013. So crowdfunding mm-hmm. had just started taking off and there were mm-hmm. a lot of crowdfunding sites. And so I was like, well, where do I invest? So I hired an assistant and we went in and we interviewed investors and we talked to the people at the, all these different platforms and we analyzed them and we went into the legal contracts. And I created this you know, document where to figure out where I wanted to invest. And what happened is the word kind of got out. It's like, oh, Ian has this list of stuff. You should ask him like this great list. And so after like the hundredth time of like, you know, giving it to someone, I'm like, okay, fine. It's out on this website. If you want it, it, I'm going to put my information on this website. So that became this website called the Real Estate Crowdfunding Review. It's still out there. You know, it gets, you know, I I can't remember the latest numbers, but, you know, it's getting, you know, several tens of thousands of investors every single month coming in, looking at real estate uh, information, you know, real estate crowdfunding stuff. So it was great. And I was like, this is awesome. But I was like, it's not really what I'm looking for because 
so many of the real estate deals, they're, they're under non-disclosure. You can't talk about them. You know, you can't talk about them on the public internet. Mm. And, uh, but I want access to those deals, you know, and I, I might not know where they are. It's like, you know what? I need like a private club where people can kind of share, you know, hey, I found this great deal. We can share it with other people. And, you know, maybe I don't know how to do due diligence and that sort of thing. In, for example, even just in real estate, there's so many areas of real estate. Maybe I know multifamily, but I know nothing about self-storage. Or maybe I know real estate, but I don't know private equity. Or, mm. you know, there's all sorts of things. That I wanted to cover everything that was basically not the traditional, you know, invest in the stock market and all the public market stuff. So, you know, that was kind of the idea. And, you know, it, it, and like you said, it, it was like the software business. It just built slowly and by word of mouth, started off with, you know, a few people and they told their friends and their family members and they referred people and it grew uh, until like, until it became kind of the snowball effect where it just got bigger and bigger and bigger to where it is now. And, you know, it eventually got to the point where there were so many people just applying that I had to hire. There's actually, what, three people now working just to look at the people that come in. Uh, we, we, we have to vet people because with, with so many investors, there's, there's bad actors that will try to come in and take advantage of that sort of thing, so. For those of you who are interested in staying up to date with all the latest happenings in my business, or to learn more about passively investing directly into my multifamily value add deals, then head over to reedgoosens.com and sign up for my monthly newsletter. By signing up, you will automatically be notified about my new up and coming investment opportunities. You'll be able to stay up to date with all the latest real estate news here in the United States and much, much more. So head over to reedgoosens.com and sign up today. Now back into the show. Awesome, awesome. And, and, and what are the numbers today? What's the group? I think I mentioned five thousand. Was it five thousand people? Yeah, five thousand. Yep. Latest number. I mean, I could go look it up, but I believe the latest was something like nine point six billion investable assets. Wow. And wow. Um, yeah. So, so, so the club now is this all accredited investors, or have you got some unaccredited as well? In the early days, we thought that there would be you know accredited investors, but. It, it just the deals almost all of them require accredited investor status. So we ended up just saying, you know what, we don't want to waste your time, you know, because you're really not going to find what you want here. You need to be an accredited investor. So mm -hmm. the, the club became accredited investor only. Accredited investor, only. got it, got yeah. it. And, and so I assume with so many people talking about different deals that you, you know, again, we're not going to name names here, but you'd have a lot of information gathering, right? So do you have internal? lists that you've created about who's a good operator, who's a bad operator, don't go to this market, oh, go to that market. You know, uh, do, you know, is there anything, are you sort of cross-checking, cross, cross -checking, oh, here's what happened on my deal, what the good, the bad, the ugly, so to speak? Well, the whole thing is about cross-checking and due diligence and people sharing their experiences. Um, but I will say the club also, it's, it's weird because of the regulations. The club has to be very legally careful. It can't mm. be seen as an investment advisor to the investors like and saying mm. you should invest in this or don't invest in that. So the club actually is not allowed to, to make a stance and go, hey, these, are the, these are the ones that we like, right. but these are the ones Got we it. don't like. Yep, yep. But what happens is, you know, you, you have 5,000 people in there and someone says, hey, what do you think about this? And uh Someone says, well, you know what? They they promised me this and they underperformed on the pro forma or they exited this deal and it was, you know, this terrible thing happened. Or or it's like, yeah, this was a great sponsor and they did everything that we wanted and, you know, I love them. Okay. So effectively that information is there. 
it just it's just whether it's captured or not is another thing. It's sort of it's sort of subconsciously in the minds of other people. And so it, it is, it's there. Every sponsor has like a thread basically where they're discussed. So it's like mm. someone brings up on the sponsors like, okay, here's the thread they're discussed. Then when they have their their deals, that goes off on another thread. So people can dig into that individual thing, and then all the information about that is there for someone who's willing to take the time to read through it and just kind of see it. Yeah, then they can make their own decision. Hopefully, that's 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 super interesting. That's uh. I wonder if uh, I'm sure a lot of sponsors don't know if they're up there or not, right? <laughs> yes, they probably don't. They probably don't, but they're probably there <laughs> because they're. It's like if they're big enough, you know, they're, they're probably discussed by someone. Probably right. Sure. Yes. Sure. 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 Mm-hmm. Sure. No, that's that's, that's awesome. Well, mm-hmm. uh, what's the goal of the club now moving forward into the future? Are you looking to grow? Are you are you looking to pivot? Like, are you, what's the you know, you're 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 a software tech guy. It's all about growth, 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 growth. So, so where where does this go in the next ten years? Well, I mean, to answer that question, so I didn't really design this to be like a, a typical, like it's not like an, a business that I had done with my previous ones. Like my primary goal was like I want to find good investment deals. So I don't ever want to do anything that kills that. Mm. And so mm. that's why, for example, no one's charged to join the club. People are referred to sponsors. No one's. There's no fee being charged to refer people to sponsors, which a lot of clubs kind of run themselves that way, but then they get conflicts of interest. And so I wanted to keep it very clean. So, you know, the club is, from my point of view, it's working and doing what it's supposed to do, which is, you know, bringing in all these deals that we can take a look at, allowing a place to do due diligence. The, the other thing that's nice is sometimes because there's so many of us that we can bring an amount to a sponsor together in aggregate that makes it worth it for them to give a discount. Excuse mm. me. And I couldn't get that by myself if I went to that sponsor. So the bigger the club gets, just the better it gets. So, so yeah, my goal, my goal is to grow it and to, to grow it. And, but we want quality referrals and want people coming in. And so we want all that good stuff, but there's no plan to change it. It's basically, yep. it's, it's working. So my, my mind's curious about how, the advice after starting a club like this, you're, you're an active investor and, you know, I'm not trying to get this, the secret sauce here, but is there any sort of like couple of nuggets of gold that you can advise to other passive investors looking to in, either come into your club or they're looking to get into the syndication world? Like what's the biggest couple of pieces of advice that you can give to them when they start looking? Yeah, I mean, maybe I could kind of tell you like what people tend to look for. In sure. Investment. Yes, seen over yes, and yes, over yes. Again. And so- you know, and first I'll just say that every investor is different. And so what I've learned first is like, there's a spectrum and you've got the very conservative and you've got the very aggressive and most people are somewhere in between. Um, now I happen to be on this side just because, you know, that, as you know, that's kind of where I am. I, it's kind of like where you are in your life too. It has a, mm-hmm. It's like, you know, um, uh, but there were times where I was over here and I, you know, I've been everywhere and, and the club members are too. So for example, for me, the things that I'm looking for, you know, like in a sponsor, like I want to see that they have uh, skin in the game, for example. So I'm looking for some sort of skin in the game. They've got some sort of co-investment. Um, I'm looking at their track record. How have they done in the past? You know, that sort of thing. I'm looking for, I'm not looking for crazy leverage. I'm not looking for something to knock it out of the park with super, super high projected returns. I'm looking for good, steady, you know, a steady return. That works for me. Now, someone over here would be like, that's terrible. That I'm not going to go for any of those deals. They, they, they want to see something. They're like, well, you know, this is not going to make a difference to me unless it's going to, you know, hit it out of the park. So, you know, they want to see higher leverage. They want to see, you know, you know, more, aggr- a more aggressive plan. So 
there's no one thing that's right for every single person. I think it's all about, hopefully the club allows people to kind of figure out where do I fall in that? And then, you know, what am I looking at to, to figure out what makes sense for me? Got it. Got it. What's the, what's the number one thing people are investing in, in the club? Is it multi? Is it, you know, syndication? Is it single family? Like, and having been started since 2013, you probably would have seen some ebbs and flows of certain asset classes, right? Yes, yes. Yeah, I mean, it, the real estate has always been a big part of it. And um, originally it was 100%. I'd say now it's probably about maybe 60% of what we see. Interesting, okay. Yeah, so there's a lot of alternative asset classes too. Then inside real estate, yes, multifamily has far away been like the number one and it continues to be. It's got a lot of strengths. It's like, um, you know, and, and now, you know, with the possibility of inflation and the ability to adjust your rents every single year, that could be a very nice thing. Um, it, it's historically performed well. It's easy to understand. Mm-hmm. It's like, hey, if I own a home, I, I can kind of understand multifamily, but it gets more difficult to understand, oh, well, you know, some of this triple net lease or self-storage or some of these other things are a little bit a little bit more out of the, the realm of someone's understanding. And, and, and when you say understanding, you're talking about why would someone have a self-storage or like, because I own a home, I need a roof over my head, I get multifamily. Is that what you mean? Well, I mean, kind of like, yeah, in a way, but like, how do I, like, they're like, well, how do I even do due diligence on self-storage? Mm. Like, I don't know enough about that business to know if this is a good deal or a bad deal. That's that's what happens a lot. Right. Where they, they look at multifamily and go, well, you know what? I've paid rent in my past and I, I can go on about, well, you know what? Probably if that rent looks like it's in a reasonable range for that area, well, they're probably gonna do that and people can get more comfortable with it. Right. So that's what I'm kind of talking about versus like the being able to, to pull the trigger requires someone to say, hey, you know, I, I feel comfortable after the due diligence process. And people tend to feel much more comfortable with the multifamily. Hopefully though, through the club, they gain experience in some of these other things and they can learn from other people and learn about some of these other asset classes too. That's awesome. That's awesome. Um, I know you're not, you don't want to give out the club's secret sauce, but personally, what are you seeing in the multifamily space, in the commercial space with inflation and you know cap rates compressing and and you've been involved since 2013 probably back in the day when cap rates were a lot more expanded than what they are today so give yes. me your yes. two cents on 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 the market the temperature what do you think and and maybe where you think we're headed to in this sort of um rising interest rate environment well, yes, I have seen a lot. And it's interesting because at almost every stage, there's always been that prediction of, you know what, interest rates can't go any lower. And, uh, you know, the cap rate, uh, cap rates can't continue compressing. And we're, we're in for like, you know, a, a big, a big bear market. And I mean, since 2013, I've been hearing that from every year. Now, I'm not saying that it's not going to happen. It will happen. It will definitely happen at some point. What I'm trying to say is it's really difficult to predict when it's mm. going to happen. So I kind of go in the, this is the way I look at it. It's like so hard to predict, like even with inflation, like we we can all see that inflation is a serious issue right now. It's like a year ago, we were like arguing about it. You know, is it going to be bad? Is it not going to be bad? You know, now we can see it. It it is, it's historical highs. Mm -hmm. And then the question is how long does it stay that way? And how does it affect my own investments? And if I knew the exact answer to that, it's really easy because it's like, oh, well, you know, it's going to stay this long for two years. So 
I'm going to switch into this something right now, like the the I savings bonds. I don't know if you're familiar with these, no, but I... they adjust with inflation, and uh, they're they're guaranteed by the U.S. government. So they're wow. you know they're not going the, the odds of default are extremely low, and so um, and they're yielding like seven eight percent right now. Wow. The, yeah, the, the the limit you're not you're only limited to like ten thousand dollars per entity, and there, there's limits, so you can't invest your whole portfolio. But it's like if inflation is going to go nuts, there are definitely ways that you can invest and do well. If inflation is just temporary, though, it's a different strategy, and it's like you don't want to go too crazy and try to protect from inflation. You're basically giving up returns over maybe the next nine or ten years, you know. So, for, especially if you're locking in for the long term, this is the way I look at it personally. I, I actually take a look like. I, I don't feel anyone can really know for sure. So I try to cover as many bases as possible. That's what I do. So for example, with real estate, it, it's kind of the same way where people are always like, well, do you think this is going to be the year that the, the the big crash happens? And I'm like, well, you know, I don't know. I, I don't know if this is going to be the big year, but instead I, I do a vintage year strategy. So what it is, is I invest every single year. So, mm. you know, if I had been around in the Great Recession and I had invested in 2006, I would have done great. 2007, I would have done okay. 2008, I probably would have been terrible. 2009 was like one of the best. 2010 was again, great in 2011. So that's the way I deal with the risk. I, I, I keep, it's almost like a index investor or someone who's like in, investing in the stock market, just continually just putting in a little bit of money every single time as it goes up and down. I feel that's kind of the best way from a passive investor point of view. Mm. Every single year I invest in real estate and I also get the tax deductions, which I can't complain about because they're very good. So um, that's how I kind of deal with it. No, I, I actually like that because, and for those listeners out there, you're, you're being consistent, right? You're consistent yes. in the market today. So you yes. might've bought at a six cap or a seven cap in 2013, or you've invested in a deal that was a six or seven cap back then. But today's market is a three or three and a half, right? Yes. So you, and, and you have to still be active in today's market. And in, in, in history is a good indication of future. But to your point, you've got to react to where you are today in order to keep the tax down, in order to keep you know the, 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 the passive income coming. And when you over a 20 or 30 year horizon, which I think is what you're sort of getting at, you're going to look back in those blips where it's gone a little bit awry or it has become a bear market will be so much less than, than, than the consistent growth of your wealth over that time, right? Yes, that, that's exactly right. So I'm not going to put everything in in one year and right. you know, throw it all in by spreading it all out. It, uh, it definitely, I feel, mitigates the risk. 100%. No, that's, that's a really great piece of takeaway advice here for everyone who's listening is Thanks. to don't don't sit on the sidelines because you're hoping something's going to happen. You have to always be active in every single market. You'll still continue to make money if you have a long-term mindset. And I think that's 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 what we're breaking it down to. Um, Ian, I want to be very respectful of your time. I probably could talk to you for hours and hours and hours, my friend. But but just information on where people can go to get more information on the Passive Investor Club. Sure. So it's uh, www.privateinvestorclub.com. Private investors, sorry. My, 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 my. No, that's okay. And... Uh, there's a link there with all sorts of information about the club, how it works, and uh, contact information. And if someone wants to register, they can do that there too. Awesome. Awesome stuff, my friend. Well, look, at the end of every show, we like to dive into the top five investing tips. You ready to get into it? All right, let's do it. Mate, what is the daily habit you practice to keep on track towards your goals? What it is, is I, I eat the I eat the frog every morning. I don't know if you've heard this phrase before, but yes, basically- I have. Oh, you know what? Okay, so yes, it's a book I, I read. Yeah. A genius book. 
It's so counterintuitive, but just take the worst thing that's on your list, that thing that's just draining your energy every single time you see it and you're like, I wish that was gone. And if you do it and if you make it a habit of doing one of those every single day, all of a sudden your list gets like really, really small. Mm -hmm. And uh, so that's what I try to do. Eat the frog. I love that. I never actually read the book and I love the name of it, but I've always heard the (laughs) the saying. So uh, question number two is who's been the most influential person in your career to date? Oh, well, you know, if, if it, I, I've got so many people that, you know, I, 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 so many people that I've, I've learned from, I mean, hard to pick just one from all, like, cause I was a computer programmer. I learned mm. a lot in that. I learned a lot, you know, in the investing world I've learned, but I love, I love following the, call them the classic investors, the best investors of all time. It's like, and it's hard to not like Warren Buffett because mm-hmm. it's like, He's, he's, he's self-made. He's so down to earth yep. and, and he happens to match up. Maybe, maybe I'm biased. He happens to match up with a lot of the ways I think about things. So um, I, I'd say he's probably number one. Yeah. No, Buffett comes up a lot. I think the reason he comes up a lot is not only being successful, that what you said, he's down to earth. He's not an, yes. he's, he's, he's not a dick with his money. You know, he's not, yeah. he's not mm-hmm. flaunting it. I think I, I saw that. He, he Does he live in, um, does he live in Idaho? No. Um, he's in Nebraska. Um, Nebraska. And it's like, he lives in just a modest house. Right. He drives an, a beater, an old yeah. car. Yeah. 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 Like yeah. That's, uh-huh. that, that's just an everyday Joe. You know, that's, that's yes. awesome. That's awesome. Mm-hmm. Uh, question number three is what's the most influential tool in your business? And when I say tool, it could be a physical tool like a phone or a journal, or it could be a piece of software that you just can't run the business without. What is it? Mm. Well, I mean, for me, it is... Uh, Basically, I mean, I don't know how helpful this is to, 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 to your members, but the thing I'm on all the time, so the, the club forum. So mm-hmm. basically the software that organizes everything, groups up things into threads and allows me to see, oh, well, who's talking about this and, you know, what's going on today and allows me to quickly kind of jump into the conversations where I want to. Okay. And did you create that software yourself? Oh, I wish I did. No, I didn't. <laughs> what's it called, by the way? A website toolbox. Website toolbox. Okay. I always like to get... Uh, ideas, uh, you know, ask people about the cool different software gadgets and gizmos that's going on. So that website toolbox. Okay, cool. In one sentence, question number four, in one sentence, what has been the biggest failure you have faced in your career? And what did you learn from that failure? I mean, I've had so many failures and I I feel that without them, I wouldn't be where I am right now. So I have to pick just one. Um, Let's see. So biggest failure. Well, uh, you know, I I guess I'll pick in the investing world since we're talking about investing. So I kind of briefly talked about it, but I didn't really tell you the details, which was that first passive investment that I was in, mm. investing in exactly the wrong time, which was uh, I invested in single family homes right before the Great Recession hit, which if, if people aren't aware, I mean, that was, it, it started with homes and basically went from there. And so the whole housing market crashed big time. And I was relying on this great marketing that said, Oh, you know, the housing market has, the markets have never crashed across the country since the Great Depression. So, you know, you can't lose your money and blah, 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 blah. And I didn't really know what I was doing. And so, um, you know, I got into that. It took me, that was supposed to be like a five or six year investment. I think it took 10 or 11 years for that thing to eventually exit. Um, I actually was very lucky because it was excruciating to that time, but they actually, they pivoted. They pivoted to multifamily and they try to make back a bunch of the money and they actually kind of broke even by the end, you know? So in, in the end, it wasn't that horrible, but it was excruciating. And each year I would have these 
I would have to pay, I have to pay taxes on phantom gains and on this investment that was underwater. And, and I just beat myself up over it over and over again. And, but I just made dumb mistakes and I learned from them, which was one, I didn't know what, I didn't understand what I was investing in. Two, I didn't understand anything about uh, markets and timing. And, you know, it's like, when should I be doing it? I had no clue on any of these things. And three, you know, I didn't even understand how to read the the legal document, which later I found that, you know, allowed them to do a bunch of things that I, I didn't really want them to do. And you don't find these things out unless things go wrong, unfortunately, sometimes. But, and so I promised to myself, you know, I'm not going to get into something where I don't understand it fully. So I started reading, which some people will think is crazy on these private syndications, because these things can be a hundred pages long, but I would read, and I do read all, every page of them from now on. So, <laughs> well, I'm sure you'd, you'd be pretty handy with a PPM review. Uh, you, can, yes. you, you can jump straight to the section. You're like, no, it's these four sections that you got to watch out for. So uh, it's funny, yeah. even though they're so long, a lot of the things just happen over and over again. So yeah. after you see maybe 50 of them, it's yeah, not so 100%. And that's awesome. Yeah. Well, mate, where, last question is where can people reach you to continue the conversation? They want to be in your sphere. I think you already mentioned the website, but maybe let's re-mention it again and maybe where yeah. people can contact you if they want to get in touch with you personally. Yeah, well, private www.privateinvestorclub.com. There's a link there to, for example, my LinkedIn page and uh, someone can get in contact with me there. That's awesome, mate. Well, look, I want to thank you so much for taking some time out of your day to jump on the show. I just want to reflect some of the things that I took away from today's show. And I think what we mentioned earlier, your resilience in the software business in the beginning, I think really helped you. And maybe it's from your mom and dad, or maybe it's from your, your upbringing, but you didn't say no. Like that would have been so crushing to have things start and fail, start and fail, start and fail. And then you hit it big time. And you hear a lot about on you know how we built this and all these they're hard to they're hard to build those those software companies. Everyone thinks everyone thinks I'm going to start a software company and, and, and smack it out of the park. Yes. And, and you know your your proof that <laughs> it takes time and it takes a couple of reps or more than just a couple of reps to get to something that is going to be scalable. That ultimately you you went on to pave the path that you are today and create the foundation that you can go off and do whatever you want with your time. Do become the ultimate passive investor and then. You know, passing it forward now with the, the the private investor club and helping other passive investors get involved in alternative assets, which I think is is really really awesome. And and then the, the last thing you mentioned there about you know reading the uh, understanding the PPMs and understanding where the risk is for an investor investing passively. And I think you know I'm sure you talk a lot about more of that inside the club. So um, but but I think those are the type of things that I took away from from today's show. Did did I leave anything out? No, that sounds great. I appreciate it. Awesome, man. Well, look, again, thank you so much for jumping on the show. Enjoy the rest of your week and we'll catch up very, very soon. Okay. Pleasure being here. Thanks. Well, there you have another cracking episode jam-packed with some incredible advice from Ian. Remember, if you want to check him out, go over to privateinvestorclub.com. His LinkedIn page is going to be there. You better contact him through LinkedIn. I want to thank you all for taking some time out of your day to tune in to continue to grow your financial IQ because that's what we're all about here on this show. If you do like the show, the easiest way to give back is to give it a five-star review on iTunes. And all the notes and the links from today's show will be up on my website at readgoosens.com. Don't forget to like and subscribe and we're going to do this all again next week so remember be bold be brave and go give life a crack